I'm Kevin Bachman. On this episode of Background Check Radio, a webinar I did with Ben Brugler and Mike Lawrence at IKEA Communications. We talked about the labor shortage, why companies are losing talent, and how to win the battle for the best. And oh, by the way, what on earth does Dollar General have to do with any of this? Stick around. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Communication Essentials podcast. You might be thinking, hey, you and Mike are there. Is this, is this a Random Thoughts podcast? No, it is not. We Random Thoughts served its purpose. Mike, would you agree? We had some fun, got us through the heavy parts of COVID. We, we, we did have a lot of fun, but you know, like Tom Brady, you got to know when to go out and, and do something new. Yeah. That's right. And it's, we got to we got to grow it up a little bit. So you know yeah. we're shifting over to the communication essentials platform. Um, we have the communication essentials blog, and up a lot of the uh, hubs are updated over there on a regular basis over at essentials.ikea.com. Um, so we are moving into this new phase where we're going to be tackling different topics that, just like with communication essentials, impact a lot of our clients' business um, and what we're seeing from their perspective, our perspective, and. We're really excited. I'm going to introduce our guest in a second, but we're really excited to talk to him because the first topic is one you might have been hearing a little about, and that's the labor shortage. I'm not even going to spend any time setting this up. I don't have to um, because our guest is so well-educated. He and I did a webinar, if you saw that, um, so familiar with what's going on. Kevin Bachman, welcome, my friend. It is good to see you. Happy to be here. Love the opportunity to chat with you guys today. So tell us, who, who are you? What do you do? So I am an employment screening expert, which is a fancy way of saying I know a lot about background checks. Uh, and it's, it's funny. Nobody raises their hand in, in fourth grade and says, hey, I want to be a background check expert. We all kind of fall backwards into this industry. But primarily what I do is I help companies hire, retain, and recruit the best talent for their organizations. So Ben, like you said, the last two years in our space has been absolutely banana land. Intellectually, it's probably the most interesting time of my professional career and love the opportunity to join you today and talk about it. Yeah, I, I do too. And you and I have talked a lot offline over the last couple of years. I've known you a long time, obviously. Um, you know, the, I, I think you are, like you said, you're living in the middle of this right now. And a lot of the other perspective we bring, I'm always like, this is, we need to get this out. But more people need to hear this. And I think everybody, could benefit even if you just take one nugget away from this anything we can latch on to right now is is worth the time so i'm um, excited to get into some of the topics with you this is the first one we're doing so um you know by the time we're doing this every other month so by the time we get to the sixth episode at the end of the year some things might look a little bit different um we'll have a, a different guest each each time um but one thing that we want to i think kind of keep is mike has you know we don't want to lose all the fun of random thoughts mike has a random thought to start us off, I said, it's going to warm us up. We're going to have a, a little bit of fun with it. Um, it's one that's tailored towards our topic uh, of the labor shortage and, and labor challenges. So with that, Mike, the random thought of the day, let's hear yeah. it. Let's do it. All right. I'm, I'm thinking that this whole conversation, labor shortage, economy, it all runs through Dollar General. Dollar General, there's 17,000 different stores in my hometown. There's two. Our town has two gas stations, three traffic lights, 
two dollar generals within a, within a mile of each other. And if I want to turn left out of the neighborhood, there's another dollar general two miles away. There's there's a lot. I I could probably visit all three of them. And it would take me less time than to get to a hospital. And it the reason I think all paths lead to this is how, how have we as consumers created such a demand for so many dollar generals? And it is there. I have my favorite dollar general to go to. <laughs> I have choice in dollar general. Instead of just being the one, I can go to them all. So I just want to know, you know, as we have this conversation, when we talk about the labor shortage, does this all fall at the feet of Dollar General? Uh, I mean, how are they hiring people? I mean, they, they, are they having any trouble? Is it fair to say that? Hey, I mean, I, I bet. Well, that's a good point because on the message boards in my hometown on Facebook, when Dollar General had to close early a couple times because they didn't have enough people, well, there is the, the hue and the cry that all the things that people talk about with the labor shortage, well, people just don't want to work or they need to pay more or we have $2 generals anyway, just close everybody, you know, there's an economic discussion that's going on with dollar general at, at the center point. So my random thought is more, all right, I, I can focus on dollar general rather than the whole Keynesian macro micro kind of thing. And I just bring it in here, but I'm so glad we have an expert like Kevin to really unpack it and to take my baseline, which is probably ludicrous at the level and Kevin's humoring me very well, but just to explain a little more what is going on here and why is Dollar General to blame? So, so Mike, if uh, what I'm hearing you say is if this were like an episode of CSI and the investigators are looking to solve the case and they have the board with all the newspaper clippings and pinpoints and, and, and yarn and string connecting it, you're saying everything goes back to Dollar General. It, 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 <laughs> it does. If, if Dollar General is struggling to find people, then I think everybody else it's is probably- the butterfly effect. It, it it's, is, it's, that's right, yes. It's, right. it's so interesting. And I, I think it's a great way to kick this off because I kind of think of Dollar General and why do you go to Dollar General? And you go to Dollar General, I think for three different reasons. Uh, and one of them isn't, you know, it's kind of a depressing reason, but, but of the three reasons, you go there because it's fun. It's five minutes from your house. Everything's a buck. You go in there with the kids, you buy some trinkets or junk, you walk out of there, you spend 10 bucks and the kids got, you know, some toys that will keep them entertained for about 90 seconds. The second is convenience. You need wrapping paper. You're, you have a birthday party in 90 minutes. You need a bag or a card, something to put the gift in. It's a dollar general. Again, five minutes away, you go, you're in and out. Okay. The third is need. So the first two are fun. The third is need. And the third is where it gets a little depressing, not only in your dollar general example, but what we think about, um, you know, the state of the labor pool right now. People need to go to dollar general, either because they're in that rural town, um, that, that, that lightly populated area, Mike, that you mentioned, and it's just kind of the only thing around. Or you go to Dollar General because you just don't have the money to go spend more anywhere else. And the example I shared with you guys earlier was, hey, you know, that big box of goldfish crackers that you can get for eight bucks at Walmart. Well, maybe I don't have eight bucks, but I got a buck and I can buy that little small pack. Yeah. Now, people smarter than us with spreadsheets will say it's a lot more profitable to sell a, little, a lot of those little small packs at a buck than the big ones at eight bucks. So when we think about the concept of food deserts, um, where there's not access to produce, where, you know, 
Walmart or a grocery store is 45 minutes away. Dollar General is, is right on Main Street. And I'm just going to go there. And the food might not be healthy, but it's convenient. And if I don't have a lot of money I can spend, I can buy the little packs of goldfish. Um, and that's just sometimes how people live day after day, week after week. So two kind of fun reasons. And one, you know, to your point, Mike, about Dollar General, and it's not it 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 it's not an, an altogether optimistic look at some of the economic conditions that some people live under in America today. Well, let let me dig in there because I love where this started because you know it's going to unfold into a larger the larger topic, which is labor in 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 general. And so Mike and his example of you know the. Dollar General having to close. It, it's happened in our town with other stores too. It's like, well, this used to be open till nine o'clock. Now it's only open till four. I was at a grocery store talking to um, one of the cashiers about how overworked they are. And I was like, well, are you guys doing inventory? Because there's a lot of food in the aisles. And they're like, no, we just want everybody to come in and unpack them. And, no, and, and she gave me the line, Mike just said, and that I, 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 at first I was like, is that true? And now I'm starting to realize, oh, it is true. But like, nobody wants to work. And she said to me, she's like, I'd like to know where some of these people are getting their money. And with not not going down a political side of this, because it's the last thing I want to touch. But Kevin, I keep hearing people don't want to work. So, you know, when you talk, you're talking about Nia, it's like, well, there, there's a lot of opportunity to work right now. But is it true? I mean, why? <laughs> why don't people want to work? And more importantly, is that a true statement? If I could, you know, if I were the ruler of the world and I could, I, I, I could remove one phrase from, from our vocabulary, from our vernacular, it's that one that people yes. just don't want to work. It is nails on a chalkboard for, to me. It's not that people don't want to work, it's that they don't want to work for you. And I think of that in two ways. They don't want to work for you as an employer. Mm. Wages, benefits, you know, I need to drive 45 minutes each way. Um, working conditions, morale, three of my coworkers quit, which just made my job three times harder. So sometimes that phrase, people don't want to work, that, that's about you. That's not about the employee. Now, that's not to say that, that it's your fault. It's just we need to recognize kind of the world we're in right now and what are things as employers we do to, to provide a more um, healthy, sustaining work environment, one, one that, that is more appealing to workers. So we can dive into that a little, a little more. The second part of people just don't want to work is about you. It's about you, the consumer. So we think of Dollar General, retail facing, customer facing, fast food. Um, they just don't want to work for you. You know, you walk in the diner and you're upset because the hamburger costs a dollar more and it takes 10 minutes longer and you are asked to wear a mask at the door. And in 2022, people have more options. They just don't need to do that. They can go work at the Amazon warehouse that just opened down the street for $15 an hour. Why are they going to serve you a burger for two fifteen plus tips and hope that you tip enough to make it worth the abuse that they're taking? So there's kind of two approaches I take to that. I do want to circle back to the Amazon example um, in a couple minutes. So reel me in if, if we don't come back to it. But that's kind of what I think of when I think of that phrase, people don't want to work. They want to work. They still want to work for you, either as the customer or the employer. I think, yeah, that, that's a great point. I think people want to earn. And I think like the word work sort of has that definition of labor and toil, which isn't fun, but the, but the ways to earn, people want to do that. They want to provide, 
They want to be able to have resources with which to, you know, buy assets, buy things they want, diversions there. So you're right. If if it feels like work while I'm earning, I may look for something else. Yes. It's not to say yeah. it's not a circus. Work isn't a circus and it's not a party. But at the same time, there's, it should be rewarded, you know, beyond the earning as well. Right. Well, you know, Kevin, your point. So they just don't want to work for you and defining you. In a, in a way, the pandemic, for whatever reason, you can chalk it up to. I, I don't think you get much argument with saying in some ways it's brought out the worst in people um, for different reasons and a lot of personal frustrations and all that. So definitely not saying it's, you know, not warranted in some cases. Some people have been through hell. Um, but we're at a point now where I think, you know, we are being forced to both as employers and as society to look at how we treat people and treat them fairly. Like you said, you know, it's easy to chalk it up and say, well, a lot of people don't want to work. It's not as easy to look at your wage structure and look at the benefits and fairness. And, you know, there's a lot of socioeconomic components of this um, that, you know, can even filter down to the dollar general model. Like you said, people that are calculating the prices to make a buck on something. Um, you know, and, and that's, and that's business, but, you know, the reality of being forced to kind of look at how we're approaching labor kind of goes to the next point of regardless of what we say or employers want to say or think, we're seeing record quits and people aren't just taking a job or any job. They're, they're, we're, they're seeing it. They're almost taking a stand. What, what's a Talk us through a quit. What's a quit? Because all we hear is record quits. Quits are up. What's a quit? Why is it important? Yeah, a quit is um, basically someone who leaves a job and, and you can back it out and you can, we can talk about it in a bit more broader sense. Um, let's think of it as a departure or a separation. Separation could be you were fired. Separation could be uh, the factory closed and you know, it wasn't your fault uh, or you just left for a better job. Um, quits, separations, et cetera, generally run in the low single digits on a monthly basis, about 2%, 2.5% month over month, employees of which there's about 160 million of in America, we can say on any given month, two, two and a half percent of them will leave their job. Now that number is over three and you think, well, what's the difference between two and a half and three? That doesn't seem really big. Well, at 160 million people, that's a big jump. If we look at it by sector, that's where it gets very interesting. At the lowest end, you'll have, um, local, state, federal government employees, that's generally the lowest quit rate. White collar professional organizations, they're higher, but they're still kind of in that 3% range. You get into leisure, hospitality, um, fast food, those customer facing positions, you're at seven to 8%. And if you map that out across, let's say the fast food restaurant that needs 30 people to run the business over a course of a year, they're gonna have well over 60 people come in that restaurant. At an 8% quit rate, that's 100% over a year, and you're gonna just turn over. It doesn't mean those people quit and go sit on their couch. It means they go take the job across the street for a dollar more. So my, my expertise as a employment screener shows, and the vantage point that we sit at within the industry is, we see the companies that are hiring and the volume at which they're hiring compared to years, months, decades past. Um, and they're hiring more 
for two reasons. Yes, they're expanding. As the world reopens, they need more people. Pent up demand gets released, economic activity. Yes, we're doing better as a business, so we need more people. But then you layer on the people that leave their jobs to go work across the street. That's where the volume in my industry is coming. And that would, that's what gives us a good kind of front seat view of, of what companies are doing. But circling back to kind of the question, Ben, uh, people aren't leaving to just go sit on their couch. They're, they're leaving to go do something else. Uh, the last point I'll make is uh, we're about 2 million people shy of uh, in employment. I said we're at 100, we're probably at 159, 158 million people working today. Two years ago, pre-pandemic, that was about 160, 161. So you do have about 2 million people that aren't part of the labor force right now. Why? They don't have childcare. Why? 45 minutes each way doesn't kind of work for them in their lives right now where they're taking care of sick people. Maybe they do have some money in the bank. They don't need to drive 45 minutes to that dollar general. The last reason, people have died. Almost 1 million people have died. Let's conservatively say 300,000 of them were part of the labor force. That's 300,000 employees that we don't have. And, and, and that matters. We can't look past the, um, that element of it too. There, and thanks for, thank you for saying that. I think that's a very real component, a very human component of this. Um, I've talked a lot in personal branding about the human components. Like, what does that mean? We're all human. Well, that's what that means. You know, that, that means that as we're looking at these hard numbers and as is our nature, sometimes we want to dwell on the negative. We want to turn and blame somebody. Um, we do have to take a second and stop and realize what we've come through. And there is no other way to, there is no truer way to ground that than the fact that we've lost people in the workforce due to COVID. So these, these challenges are very real. And I think sometimes in, in, I'll say, I'll speak to the corporate side of this, that we're hard on, or, you know, I see clients being hard on themselves and challenged. It's like, well, the reality is this is a very real and at times not an easily solved problem um, for very real, hard, fast factors of, of which one is unfortunately um, mortality, uh, mortality rate. Yeah. So a very good point. And I, one, one point I wanna think about when you said that before we get off the retail side, cause I have a, a question kind of maybe steered more towards the corporate, this might be a good bridge for us. Um, so Mike's point again, you know, a store closing, not enough people to work. Well, I've seen it, you've seen it. Do you see that thought or that mentality spilling over and affecting corporate America? And by that, you know, we, we do a lot, we deal with a lot of manufacturing, industrial manufacturing clients where, you know, that is a struggle where they don't have the option to shut down a shift or close early. From your perspective, how are companies being forced to deal with this? Well, first I should say, is it fair to say they're seeing that a little bit? And then from your perspective, how are they dealing with that? I think larger organizations are more able to, to paper over the problem with what is typically the simplest and least expensive solution, and that's money. Counterintuitive to say money is the least expensive solution, but yeah, sometimes it's easier to throw money at that problem, keep the clients, keep the production line running, than it is to, to shut it down. So no, I don't see, um, just randomly use Nestle as an example. You, you know, they're, they're and, and we're all Cleveland based. So Nestle's still making food at their, at their factories. The local McDonald's franchise is closing their dining room. Um, and, and that's the distinction I, I, I think. I don't think 
the idea of just shutting down limiting hours production lines. I don't think it extends up the the food chain literally and figuratively mm-hmm. because there's the, because there's just deeper pockets that can solve the problem easier. Great. And and I great agree point. that's a that's a great bridge into corporate because, you know, Nestle has manufacturing arms but they also have corporate communications. They also have you know, there's a number of white sure. collar jobs there. So I think I think there's some different solutions to kind of address some of those challenges. Well, and I'm going to let Mike react to this next point because um, I, I think his I'd love to hear his perspective on the topic of dream job. Kevin, in the product pre-production notes, you were sharing the idea of leaving for a dream job is not a new concept, and you're 100% right. Um, but as with the, as always the case, hey, when all of these factors are there, we why not? It's like almost like, you know, well, I have these 10 reasons to do it. If I was ever thinking of leaving for my dream job, I might as well do it. Well, the article in the Wall Street Journal, or I think at the start of the year, that like 2022 is the year to trace, chase your dream job. Um, it's like, like we need one more challenge in this. And I know you're probably not going to make this the year you leave to go, you know, pursue your dream of playing for the Yankees. But there are, there, there is the reality that people might Jeter's a year older than me. He got there first. <laughs> when you start, you know, that's a whole other depressing topic yeah, when yeah. you start to think about like Jeter and Tom Brady are like our age. And I look out there and it hurts me just to watch these guys play. But I digress. This idea of chasing your dream job, maybe it's not something that extreme, but maybe you were thinking of going to start your own business or, you know, going to work here. Mike, how do you define, let's start there. What's a dream job? That's, that's the thing. It's is it the same thing I do, but more money, or is it my my passion? You know, I I could I'd like to work in a used bookstore. You know, all week and just read and feed the cats or whatever. You know, that that go through used bookstores. I want to make crochet, want to crochet hats for dogs. That's my dream job. <laughs> but feasibility, chasing that dream job, I could do that for a while. But then I want to eat, and I you know I want to pay for things. So when we're defining dream jobs here, Kevin, is it, are people, when they say it's their dream job, is it more money? Is it starting a business? Is it taking some time off from the eight to five just to have a little more control over things? And this dream job, if they chase it, do they keep it for a while? Or do they come back to, for lack of a better word, reality? That was, that was a sabbatical in my life. You know, now, now I'm back. I, I think that last point is one that will that we will see in the next 6, 12, 18 months. I went and did this. I tried it. I had an idea. Yeah, it worked. It didn't work. I had fun. I didn't have fun, but but I'm going to kind of go back and do this. I, I think where it starts, Ben, to your question is it kind of starts with intellectual and emotional disengagement from what you're doing. And that hurts an organization um, kind of behind the scenes. I still have the people. I'm still paying them. How come I'm not getting the product or the output? My clients aren't as happy. Well, that's because your team is thinking about going and crocheting hats for puppies. And maybe they do, maybe they don't, but emotionally, they're just not as committed right now. Um, Especially as we think about um, professional white collar jobs, how is we as leaders continue to engage? How do we continue to motivate people and create an environment where, yes, if you want to go crochet hats for puppies, like that's cool too, but how do we keep getting the best out of you and motivate and reward you while you're here doing this for us? That's a challenge for, for us as uh, communications leaders and HR leaders. But Mike, to your point, um, I, I think there does come a time where people say, okay, there's only so much money in crocheting hats for dogs. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm still going to need to go back and do this. So I do think that levels a bit. Uh, and then Ben, to your comment around people chasing dream jobs, what's really, really interesting this year is, like you said, Ben, everybody, you know, there's always people that want to chase their dream job. But right now, everybody wants to do it at the same time. And the more articles we see, the more podcasts and webinars like this, the, the more and more people kind of get that same idea. So it's kind of a snowball effect. Yeah, and even if a small yeah. percentage actually chase it, everybody has it. Oh yeah, I'm going to pack it all up and go to Colorado and hike the mountains and live out of my van and things. But most won't do it. But if there's an increased frequency in people evaluating their their present situation, all right, say 90% don't do anything. But if there's more frequency in that thought, could there be then more departures from the jobs? And, and that's what happens. Like you said, Kevin, this yes. is all happening at one time. This evaluation, COVID had people evaluating, is it worth it? Could I live on a little bit less? You know, should I take a break just for a little while for my own mental health? And all of these thoughts are happening at the same time across, across the country. Yes, and yes. I'm right, it's, well, it's, it's, it's six different reasons, sorry, Ben. It's six different okay. reasons. And the simplest way to boil it down is people don't wanna work. Well, no, it's the six things that we've talked about all kind of leading to the same place. That that's a huge point. I love looking at things holistically. You know, um, hey, everything is connected, and it it is true um, when you look at it from this perspective. The lowest common denominator is like, ah, oh, nobody wants to work. Well, what level? I, I almost look at it as an organization that look that wants to take the most accountability for that statement will be the one that maybe survives this because the reality is we're in the middle of a lot of things being. Uh, you know, kind of this upheaval in terms in terms of how we work, where we work, and and that's just we're just talking about work right now. There's a lot of other factors too, but the, when the dust settles, it comes down to some basic human elements of who's going to take accountability and kind of de-engineering, the reverse engineering this, um, and figuring that out. So to that point, Kevin, what are some things? It's not necessarily. I, I don't want to put you on the spot and say advice. But we've heard that the, the playing field's been leveled a little bit. Um, you know, it used to be, well, we have beer in the office and parties and, uh, you know, massage people that come in and, and de-stress the team. And like, but now we're a lot of people working from home or working from anywhere. What are some things companies should be, that the basics that they should be latching onto in terms of not only retaining, but how they, how they market themselves to people that are looking to maybe leave or to go and join a team? Yeah, I, I think if organizations aren't yet, they need to double or not triple down on employee engagement. We've talked about in the last couple of minutes, just people wanting and thinking of different things. This is not 2019. Connect with your employees where they are to find out what, what moves and motivates them. And surprise, it's gonna be a bunch of different things. So the solutions that whether you're in HR, corporate communications, et cetera, creating messaging plans, recruiting, marketing, attracting talent, you're, you're going to have to hit on a couple different things in ways that you might not have before. So the solutions are going to be more challenging because you're going to have to adopt different tactics for either different segments of employees or people that you're recruiting. For some people, it is beer in the office, so you should keep doing that. For others, it's work from home. Um, for others, it might be more flexible hours um, to accommodate, you know, hey, the daycare is closed today because there's an outbreak and someone got COVID. It, it, it gets really granular on a by-employee basis. 
And I say that not because it's poof, just go do it. I say it with incredible empathy because the last two years of HR people, while I've said this is the most interesting intellectually time of my professional career, for HR people, it's been the hardest. Um, you know, work from home policies, my coworker coughed on me policies. When can I come back? When do I need a test? There's an organization I know that the HR department had to map out on the floor the proper way to go to the restroom in order to maintain social distancing. So I, I talk about some of those solutions, Ben, as an answer to your question, while recognizing that it is unfortunately just one more thing that gets heaped onto uh, talent acquisition leaders. Yeah. And that sucks because it's really hard. <laughs> one more thing. It, you, you are right. And it's funny, all the things that you know, Mike and I have talked about over the past 18 months and random thoughts, kind of tongue in cheek, actually are very true. You know, Mike, these these perks or benefits, they all do matter at a at a micro level to, to employees um, that companies need to engage around. Easier for us in a smaller company, but figuring out how to mass produce that thinking is essential. Yeah, there's something to showing you care too. I know Ben, Ben will call a couple of us out of the blue just if something's happened. Hey, just just check in. I, you know, I saw your kid was wasn't feeling very good. You know, how's how's he doing? Those little things. Cause I think you need to, if not customize, there's not a one size or one solution for all. The beer in the office, that's not going to satisfy everybody. The work from home, some people like to be there. And it is really knowing, I think, who's working for you or the types of people who are working for you just the type of attention they want. So again, it's not that nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work at a place where they don't care. Or I feel like as a worker, I'm, I'm giving so much of myself and in return is the paycheck, which used to be enough. You know, our grandfathers and even our dads were like, I worked all day. I hated it, but that's how it was. And now there's a little bit more recourse, I think, amongst employees to say, wait, maybe there's just a little more than punching the clock and you know, working till I'm exhausted. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. It's, um, and, and I, I first answered Ben's question with the what, like, what should you do? Let me speak to it now from the how, right? Because we talked about employee engagement. Well, okay, how do you collect it? How do you infuse that, you know, what you've learned through, throughout the organization? And I, where I see a gap is HR talent acquisition and internal communications aren't as closely aligned as they need to be. Uh, HR can, can get the answers to all of those questions. Recruiters and talent acquisition can find out all of the things through the hiring process, what, what job applicants want today. Um, that really needs to be linked at the hip, in my mind, with an organization's internal communications structure, because the things that you're trying to do on the HR and TA end, let's share and communicate that and pick up some wins with our employees to show them that, that we care, to show them we're trying to meet where they are. And where I recognize some gaps today is those efforts are a little more siloed than they, than they should be. Huge, huge point. I, I, I think it comes down, you know, communication strategy, everybody has a place in that because I think sometimes people think communication is, well, we're going to, we're going to say this and put it out. No, communication is how you connect with your audiences, period. You're, and you ultimately, if you want to take it a step further from a PR standpoint, you're affecting or changing a behavior. There's nobody ever said it has to be in, this part of the business or in this channel for this audience it's message channel audience behavior you're evaluating those things and in this case there doesn't seem to be a greater channel and a greater audience than potential employees and current employees 
to be able to stay and retain that employment employment and to stay and retain the business. So I, I think that's a, a great point to end on because it kind of wraps us all the way back to the start with the phrase that you'd love to scrub. Nobody wants to work. Well, <laughs> the second we companies focus that energy, I said accountability. I, I think the way you looked at it is, is even better. Like, hey, those steps that unpack that statement um, are really important. So great, great advice um, for all aspects of, of a lot of organizations. But so Kevin, quick last question for you. Anything I missed, anything I didn't ask or you'd like to cover that we didn't get into um, before we go? The, um, you, you mentioned something at the beginning, Ben, we tend to focus on the negative. I think the companies that are doing the things well that we're talking about don't have any problems. I, I, I think the 50% that are trying to recruit and, and solve their problems like it was 2019, that's what we see in the newspaper, that's what we hear, and that's what we see. The 50% that are just tackling these problems, whether it's wages, whether it's employee engagement, um, they're fine. And so the challenge is, and the reason I wanted to point that out is for the 50% that aren't, the 50% that are, is the 50% that are grows and that gets higher, now it's 60-40, now it's 70-30. It's only going to get worse for the 50% that aren't right now. And that's if that's that's a key takeaway, I think, for everybody listening is make sure you're in the camp that is solving these problems because if you're struggling now, it's probably only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Great advice. He guys, he knows a lot and he can he could share a lot more than just in the 30 minutes we've had with him today. Um, I, I agree hundred percent. You want to be like he said, you want you want to be in the in the camp that is kind of understanding the the mechanics of why people don't want to work for you, or maybe even better, trying to go and find the people that do want to work for you. And he he can definitely help with that. So Kevin, I am so excited we got to do this. It was great to have you back and be talking Loved about it. this and you launching our first communication essential podcast you know it's 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 a, i can't think of a better way to do it let's do it again a year from now and find out uh, how right or wrong we are we'll, we'll go revisit it, it. <laughs> mike anything else anything to play us out here i i, I love the last thought you know you got to be the 50 that gets on board because you're like the family that still has a vcr you know that's <laughs> not, you know we're not going back to those days you know get with the no. other 50. yeah we're not we are not and with that, which is fantastic, we will uh, we will conclude the this episode of Communication Essentials podcast. So thanks a lot, guys. It was fun. Have a great rest of the week. We'll talk soon. You too, guys. Yeah.